This podcast episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley's Organic Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Now, we all know that many olive oils are cut with seed oils or that they are rancid, and so it's not always easiest to find a quality and properly sourced olive oil. Yes, in case you didn't know, many store bought olive oils are diluted or blended, compromising both taste and quality, and may even cause rancidity. I'm really glad that Paleo Valley's extra virgin olive oil remains pure and unadulterated, sourced from a single organic valley in Greece. Paleo Valley ensures freshness and nutrient content by packaging their olive oil in dark glass bottles. At a certain point, I stopped using extra virgin olive oil, but once our practice started working with people with chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS, we started recommending it for the reduction of TGF beta 1. It is an immune system marker that shows inflammation both for COVID 19, SIRS, and actually many other illnesses. So if your TGF beta 1 is high, you may want to try incorporating a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. Make sure to check it out. It comes in a two pack package. And remember, All Paleo Valley products are guaranteed with a money back guarantee. Go to paleovalley.com slash nwj to get 15% off your order. Thanks for supporting companies that support this podcast. Hey guys, it's Judy from Nutrition with Judy, and I am very excited today. I have the nourished caveman who is Vivica, and I will have her introduce herself. But we are going to. Vivica, thanks for joining me. And if you could kind of introduce yourself. Sure. Thank you so much, Judy. It's so exciting to finally be here with you. I love all the work you do and like have so much respect for like all the amazing information you put out there. Thank you. So I am a holistic nutritionist and I came through nutrition from, you know,、um, an original like Western Price diet through then paleo diet and Through keto and carnivore, and now kind of full circle. But I, the, my foundation、um, and what I specialize in in my work is、um, hormone balancing, mostly for women. There is the occasional dude that slips in there, but it's mostly for the ladies. And、um, I, yeah, everything hormones and on the foundation of a healthy diet and lifestyle. Okay, and I know that I noticed that you've done paleo, low carb, keto, carnivore. So, if you can kind of just walk us through your journey, kind of why you, you know, venture kind of or dabble in、um, a little bit of all of it.、Mm-hmm. It's really been kind of an evolutionary journey. And as much as my personal health and understanding of health and, and health needs have evolved, so also kind of the journey into the diet. And if you think about it, going from A nutrient dense diet that is like Western Price style through paleo, through keto, and then ending up kind of in carnivore、um, has been like kind of a funnel, you know, restricting, restricting, restricting. And has, it actually has had a very good purpose because it has done a lot for me and taught me a lot. But the way it started, of course, it started with like the idea of healing. And when I started nutrition like eight years ago, something like that.、Um, It was mainly for myself that I got into it. And actually, I got through nutrition through a raw diet, raw vegan diet, which I did for about a month. And 
I did it as a detox, not as a long-term diet. But then about six months later, I actually studied starting studying nutrition and then, you know, went into like nutrient dense diets. But the first thing that I had to heal was my metabolism. Metabolism was the first thing as my kind of rude awakening moment was like high blood sugar, pre-diabetic, you know, that was like really, it's kind of the first thing that you have to look at. Also, like when you approach a patient, I'm sure you know, you will look at energy metabolism and glucose regulation and metabolic, you know, functioning as kind of like the most important thing that we need to stabilize before we get into the deeper layers of health. And the same way kind of that I work with my patients, I had to work on myself. And now looking back seven years, I was like, oh, that's really happened like that. So first I had to fix metabolism. And so that's why from um, nutrient dance paleo, which for me were kind of like the same thing, I went into ketogenic and that's when I found the ketogenic diet. And, you know, back in the days where nobody knew what a keto diet even was, there was absolutely zero information around and um, I jumped into it full force because I knew that the secret to, you know, reversing insulin resistance, like balancing your, your blood sugar, like healing metabolism, all of that was contained in, you know, low carb and especially in harnessing the power of ketosis. So it started there. And then like, I definitely... Um, there was this whole process of evolution within keto that for me lasted for about four years where I was like really strict keto for about two years where I needed to lower my insulin resistance, which, you know, is crazy. I wasn't really that unhealthy, but really high insulin resistance. And then once it started getting better on that front, hormonal problems came about. So I was hypothyroid, Hashimoto's, and then I had fibroids. And a pretty crazy perimenopause with like lots of hemorrhages and, you know, just like anything that could go wrong almost. And I always refused to go the conventional approach. So even when things got pretty rough, you know, with having like large fibroids and very painful, very extreme periods, I refused to go the surgical way and I wanted to heal it for myself. So with diet combined with nutrition. And so that's where I kind of had to start modifying my keto approach into reintroducing some carbohydrates in specific carbohydrates in a specific way, doing what we kind of call like carb ups or carb cycling. Mm -hmm. And as I did that, entering perimenopause and, you know, actually was kind of smack in the middle of perimenopause and, you know, changing hormonal needs. So I had to adapt the diet to my body and my body's evolution, especially after being really, really strict um, keto for several years. Like I realized that my body was changing and its needs were changing. Now, carnivore for me was almost like the carnivore accident. <laughs> it wasn't really an accident, but it was um, not something that I intended to do for myself because I didn't really see the need of it for myself. But I had a patient who was on a one-year program with me, and we were working really in depth on like her many numerous health, severe health issues. 
And one of them was constipation. And she came from being vegan and vegetarian. I basically dragged her through paleo into keto paleo, um, kind of like with a lot of resistance. But all of a sudden, she investigated, and she's kind of a scientist, very smart young lady. She's, she found the carnivore diet, and she's like, I'm going to try this. And I freaked out because I never give any diets to my patients or any procedures that I haven't tried on myself. So I was like, okay, you're going to start it. I'm going to start it (laughs) together. And so that's where my carnivore experiment started last last year or two years ago, I think. It was already, wow, yeah. And so I did a whole three months of carnivore for myself and tried like what I call like an ancestral carnivore diet. It was very influenced by PKD, the Mm -hmm. Paleolithic ketogenic diet in Hungary. And, you know, I interviewed Dr. Clements, um, tried to really learn as much as I could in the early stages. Again, you know, it seems like I was kind of early in the game where there was not a lot of information, not a lot of research, but together with my client, and then she ended up going to work for Paleo Medicina, which is awesome. I have great respect for them. They're I still like, they're one of my great points of reference for doing, a, you know, a carnivore diet in a good, healthy way. And I, you know, for me, they represent the more ancestral way of doing carnivore. And now as the diet has become more more popular, there has been all these kind of spin-offs and different variants of how you can do a carnivore diet. When I did it, I started out very strict, just water and salt. Um, in the style of PKD, I was only doing red meat, no poultry, no fish. Um, so I did that for a while and then kind of opened it up to poultry and fish in the later stage. Um, and then at the very end, I tried to incorporate fruit again and do it in the style really of like this ancestral diet. Um, my conclusions of the carnivore diet is that it is amazing and it can be extremely beneficial for people, but also it's not for everybody. Um, I think that for the right person in the right situation is absolutely amazing and you can accomplish a lot just with the diet. Um, It was not for me. I really didn't need it. And so I just kind of went back to my original way of eating that after all the evolutions and you know experiments what it has become now it's more of like a diet that is focused on healing foods medicinal foods so trying to make every food count for the healing of my body and maintaining that state of homeostasis that is kind of so hard to maintain in this toxic world so I try to make foods count because like also the way that I work with supplementation, I don't do supplementation for nutrients usually. Um, I supplement for function. So, and I can explain that more. You're like, what is that? Oh, no, I totally get that because I do the same thing. So you don't just go, oh, you're vitamin D deficient. I'm just going to incorporate vitamin D, but you actually figure out the root cause and then add, I get it. Okay. So basically, at this point, I am just using the diet for myself in a very specific way. Like I realized during my seven years of practice that we can't just bundle people into like, you know, cookie cutters. Um, Everybody, depending on your sex, age, kind of health issues, root causes, 
you're going to have a little bit of a different profile. And I think that for sure we can safely say nobody is going to need the fat diet. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure we can agree on that. But as far as like what um, modern kind of health-based diets we're going to need specifically, I think that's something that needs to be considered individually. <laughs> no, so something I was going to ask you is, um, as you're talking about that um, carnivore isn't everyone for everyone, but it is um, for you know certain people. Um, can you kind of expand on that? So, like, who do you think may not want it or need it? And, mm -hmm. You know, and who do you know? Do you see benefits for? So, in my experience, and here I little disclaimer: I am not a person or, you know, a kind of practitioner that really bases her conclusions on a lot of like clinical research other than my own. Mm -hmm. And I just was reading uh, Sean Baker's carnivore book and I was really happy in his introduction that he shares also, there is a, not a lot of research on carnivore diets. And so anyways, we don't have a lot of like research funded research or, you know, um, peers, group studies or studies, whatever kind of studies that talk about carnivore because it's not been around for that long, at least in the modern time. Um, but I do really glean a lot of information from working with real cases, real patients, and of course, always myself. I experiment everything. I try everything on for size before I talk about it, before I give it to my clients. So. My ideas on carnivore is that I have this whole little meat theory that, <laughs> that, you know, as human beings, we are able to adapt to a lot of different diets. I mean, there are people who survive being vegan. So yeah. if they, you know, we didn't have some sort of strong adaptability, that wouldn't be happening. <laughs> so as, uh, you know, we have evolved and we have evolved for hundreds of thousands of years with a certain kind of um, staple diet, but it also depended of where we evolved because, you know, after our, you know, Homo sapiens evolution kind of spread to different parts of the globe, the globe, um, of course, we evolved with different climates and the climates have different foods. But we were able to evolve in with the different climates, the different seasons, the different foods, anywhere from Eskimo, fully animal based with just maybe a little bit of lichen all the way to tropical where they have fruits like 12 months out of the year. And, you know, indigenous populations were able to maintain very good health in all scenarios with nutrient-dense nutrient diets. But then what happened, you know, then agriculture happened. So a very kind of big, like 90-degree turn in our nutritional profile and nutritional diets happened. And we were able to adapt. So we were able to adapt to like less nutrients and more calories, uh, which could have had some benefits and, you know, some downsides. But I think in general, um, we were able to adapt. And then recently, though, what happened is there was another really big change in trajectory. We invented industrial foods. So from like ancestral, agricultural, and now there is industrial. So this whole industry that had to become then the food industry created all these fake foods that are not really supposed to be eaten by humans. So they're like come from the lab or the factory and they're highly processed 
with a number of artificial man-made ingredients. I think that this is where we reached the point finally where our organism has stopped adapting. So mm-hmm. we were not able to adapt to the sad diet. The sad diet, you know, the highly processed Western diet has brought severe consequences for our organism where we were not able to maintain homeostasis and a great base of health but we kind of started going down and there has been a severe decline of health regardless of what statistics might say about mortality or lifespan you know the quality of life has severely declined in the last even just 50 60 years hey guys just to let you know my carnivore cure book is back in stock for nine months it was out of print and used prices were up to 300 dollars Make sure to get your copy today that has over 200 colored tables and graphics and over 400 pages of meaty goodness. We have a limited supply, so get your copy today on Amazon.com. And if you can leave a review, I'd be super grateful. Right. I mean, especially come the 1980s where the new food pyramid came out, um, you know, glyphosate came out, uh, vaccines escalate. It's just a myriad of things that have caused our health to decline. So for me, it's like, okay, so we went all this way being able to adapt and now we are maladapted to our diet. So we need to reverse the trajectory, go back to like a diet that we can, you know, maintain health with. But then we have come so far out of balance that for me, in order to regain balance, we need to go so far the other way in order yes. to heal. So what's the main thing? You just mentioned glyphosate, and that's great. For, because for me, GMO and glyphosate was a big determinant in what's happened in the last like, 20, 30 years in the States. Most of Americans have a pretty damaged digestive tract, especially microbiome. And I'm sure you see that in your clients every day and the people that you come in contact with. But I think that one of the main health issues in relation to diet is the destruction of the microbiome. And so once you've been exposed to crazy amounts of antibiotics, crazy amount of glyphosate, GMO foods that are not recognized by the body, and we start to lose the ability to process, digest, and assimilate their foods, and the microbiome has gone from like billions of healthy bacteria to like a few scraggly survivors, you know, our body has completely pretty much lost the ability to ferment fibers and break down fibers and has kind of reverted to a very simple um, processing ability, let's call it. So why is meat and a carnivore animal-based you know, animal protein-based diet, why is it so beneficial? It's because it, you bypass the whole segment of evolution kind of and revert back to a very basic state where you can survive on only one thing. It is nutrient-dense and it just involves like breaking down amino acids and like, you know, the absorption happens in the small intestine, but you don't need all that complicated you know, fermenting and absorbing process that happens in small and large intestine with your microbiome, with all the different strains of fermentative bacteria. So 
by eliminating all that, your body has actually the ability to take a breathe, a breather, like, okay, <laughs> I'm still getting nutrients. I don't have to work so hard. Things are not completely out of balance. And also you're not putting into your body a bunch of substances that ideally would be nutrients and food, but your body is not able to deal with. So as far as we have gone into dysfunction, we have to come into strict elimination, really basically to like having one food available that we can survive on in order for the body to like get those nutrients, being able to process them. And from there, being able to rebuild a healthy ecosystem to then open up again into, I think a more omnivore diet is realistically what we are designed for. And again, I think that depending on location, season, age, sex, and your microbiome, maybe first, your diet, ideal diet would be very different from one person to the other. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, a lot of my clients, or I, I, I'd say all of my clients, um, the first thing we focus on, um, you know, we'll go start from the, with an elimination diet using me, but then we work on the gut, right? Because the thing is, the more and more I work with so many clients and see so many cases, even if you're eating just a meat diet, if your gut is damaged, I don't know of how much of the amino acids you're breaking down to then absorb. If you don't have enough zinc, which you need hydrochloric acid, but if you don't have enough hydrochloric acid, you're not going to break down the zinc from the meat. So it's like this perpetuating cycle, you know what I mean? So yep. it's, it's insane. Um, and so that's where sometimes I think the whole just meat plus water is not fully healing because you may need gut support. Maybe, maybe years of a carnivore, carnivorous diet, it can heal, but you know, in the interim, actually, you may benefit from some like healing supplements as you're talking about. Um, so what do you incorporate um, after a while then? So for me, it kind of swings. Like there is like a, a curve um, there, like bell-shaped curve happening. So when it first starts with clients, I do supplement supplementation. And the way that I supplement is... Um, I kind of have a bit of a pattern going because that's what works the best for everybody, even though it's in very individually determined, but the pattern is the same. And it starts in like addressing digestion is always there at the beginning. So just like you do, supporting a strong and healthy digestion being HCL, which 99% of people <laughs> are HCL, short on HCL, HCL. So that one mostly is there. And, you know, the minerals providing HCL, they're able to break down and absorb those minerals better. Um, and I do use all whole food supplements or whole food concentrates. So it's, they're not isolated supplements that your body needs to add other, you know, enzymes or, you know, trace minerals to. They come kind of with the whole package. So we'll start with digestion and then go into what I call drainage protocols which are designed to open up drainage pathways for people. That's something that I don't see in general as a lot of practitioners put focus on that. But for me, it's like really foundational because before we can start healing, we need to detox. And before we can detox, we need to be able to detox. So supplementation really supports those drainage pathways like kidney, liver, lymph, um, circulation, skin, lung, you know, whatever 
in needs like that the client has weakened and usually it's liver and kidney those are the two big guys yes. that need to be supported um but really putting a lot of focus on that and digestion and adding like a good high nutrient diet and i usually start with keto paleo then transition depending okay so if their gut is really damaged I might go to carniv- a modified carnivore, straight into carnivore almost, but I try to narrow it down gradually, especially depending where people are, you know. Right, and right. Some people will come and they already try to do carnivore on their own for like months. So at that point, it's just about tweaking, you know, and, and making it better. But if they've come straight from a sad diet into like, you know, healing diets, then we need to go step by step. Right. Yeah, no, I I go through the same process as you. Um, I know so many people that, um, you know, as soon as they learn about detoxification, they're like, get me all the detox supplements and how I can detox, like, you know, use these like enemas. And it's like, wait, 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 let's take a step back. You may actually need to heal a little bit of your gut health, right? Um, I've met so many people that they're, they're doing the carnivore diet and um, they have runs even after six, seven months. And it's people say, well, just eat meat and water and you'll heal. And, it, you know, they're missing the component of wh- maybe their gut is that damaged that they may need a little bit more support, at least in the beginning. You do the um, carnivore diet, if it's extreme, and then you move on to kind of like opening their pathways and then detoxing. And do you base that off their symptoms? Like, how do you know that they have to move on to the next step? Yes, like I do case histories and then blood work, um, oh. hormones if we need to. And then like, of course, symptoms. I also do muscle testing. So I use kind of an array of different tools. And then like, of course, like we continue monitor their progress. Um, I try not to rely exclusively on like labs because like I find it very limiting but I do use labs as well so it's a little bit of different things and of course like symptoms and progress that's you know it's right there so the moment they start feeling better looking good and you know like conditions are like getting better like healing um then you can see as you are healing a person and then you use detox I know I saw something from you that. Um, you use like enemas and even like coffee enemas for detoxification. Do you kind of want to talk about that? You know, what the benefits are and you know, why some people may even need enemas? Yeah. I love talking about enemas, enemas, especially coffee enemas. They come from like the old Gerson protocol for cancer and they've been used enemas themselves. They've been used for detoxification and healing, even in Ayurveda in a really big way. And I find them, a very important tool when they're used properly because like there is like if you go on facebook there are groups for coffee enema support group mm-hmm. and there are people that like go years doing enemas like every day or every week i do not recommend that i don't think that's healthy i want to put another little disclaimer here that enemas are great when done appropriately and that mm-hmm. means i think that within a scope of detoxification for limited periods of time or you know in special situations like i tell my patients if you feel like you're getting sick or you've eaten something bad or you glutened yourself you feel like you got exposed like you ate a bunch of cheese whoopsie you know um 
so an enema helps like just getting the whole thing out. And like it also helps stimulate your immune system by reducing the toxic load of the gut and dumping the liver. And those are the beautiful things that especially a coffee enema can do. So I use them in conjunction with the drainage protocols and then detoxing herbal protocols of herbs that actually expedite phase one, phase two detoxing in the liver. They also go into the cell and kind of do the squeezing action, like draw toxins out of your cells. But where all the stuff ends up is kind of in your liver and gut because all the toxins that come from the fat cells or the organs or the bones even, those are all repositories of toxins that can be sitting there for 20 years, 40 years, you know, and then you start pulling them out and they need to go somewhere. So that's why, you know, liver and kidney pathways are supported because they will have to go through the liver and then through the kidneys get excreted both in the urine and the feces. So a lot of the toxic load ends up in your intestine and it's kind of like trash day, you know, when you have like a really bad, stinking, foul trash can that's been sitting there ripening and like you, you need to get it out of your house and you just put it on the sidewalk waiting for the truck, you know, but you just want that stuff to get carried away. Imagine you have all these like rotting foods and rotting things and stinking and flies and maggots and it's like sitting in your house, in your kitchen and you just let it sit there. All it's going to do is get worse and worse. So, you know, that's kind of the same. All those toxins end up in your intestine. They're sitting there. They, they're about to be reabsorbed. That's kind of the main thing because mm-hmm. whatever is in your intestine is easily reabsorbed back. So we want to shuttle them out. Let's get the trash, the trash truck come and take them away. And that's what a coffee enema does. So it has, for me, two main actions. One is the mechanical action of removing all the fecal matter that includes those bad toxins. But it also has kind of like a biochemical trigger action to where it dilates the bile ducts of your liver. It dilates the portal vein. And it lets your liver literally dump into your intestines. So it also removes a lot of old sticky bile that will like kind of get stuck and accumulate inside the liver, especially for women with high estrogen. You know, the bile gets thicker and then it tends to really stick into the ducts and congest in the liver even further. So I see a great benefit in doing a series of animals. And usually I recommend during like a three-week detox period that at least least five or six enemas are done. Um, There are different kinds of enemas as well. Like, you know, for certain cases that are really, really toxic, really sick people, sometimes we do salt baking soda and iodine enemas. I don't recommend to try that without the help of a practitioner because they're intense. And you can do damage to your intestine if you don't know how to do those right. There are um, nourishing enemas that can be done with like non-rancid uh, fresh flaxseed and ghee. These are very much in the style of Ayurveda. So you replenish nutrients and, you know, you hydrate and nourish. Um, those are sometimes retention enemas, sometimes they come out. And you can also do probiotic enemas, which are, you know, retention enemas, ideally. So you will try to take it in and 
just kind of replenish, you know, bacteria right at the job site instead of having to go through your whole digestive system. I sometimes um, support my clients doing enemas as well. And I agree. And I think, like you said, also, I don't think this is something that people should just like go look on the internet and try themselves because there can be consequential um, like negatives to also trying this at home without really having any supervision. So yeah, I think, but I think enemas can be very powerful. Let's shift a little bit and let's talk about hormones. So I know you're a hormone specialist and, you know, you specialize a lot of times also in perimonos, uh, menopausal and menopause um, hormones. Do you want to just talk a little bit about that, how you see women with like adrenal fatigue and, um, you know, there's that whole thing about low carb and if you should, you know, for you, I mean, you personally went through Hashimoto's and, you know, um, suffering from uh, low thyroid. Um, so you know, how did you fix that? Or how did you work on supporting that? And then on top of that, um, yeah, just, you know, all of the symptoms you see and how you support these women. Adrenal fatigue, first of all, is a harsh reality of our existence. Because the world that we live in, not only the stress is kind of all times I talk about the last couple of weeks, like about stress levels, you know, uh, for everybody. But it's always like high stress, technology, high pace of life, so many demands. And we are really not designed to handle these levels of stress. Plus women, we come with this like, you know, program that we need to look a certain way. We need to be, you know, that skinny, that fit, that curve, you know. So there is a lot of like under eating and over exercising and you see that pattern like it's really pervasive and under eating plus over exercising equals fried adrenals in my book (laughs) oh no absolutely absolutely yeah so that's a lot of cases most cases adrenal support is kind of like liver support everybody needs it the world is toxic right now and adrenal support everybody needs it it's a different kind of toxicity but overlapping because even physical toxins will stress your adrenals so you know when we handle hormones the endocrine system works as a family sometimes they all you know it's a functional family sometimes it's functional but when one member of the family becomes dysfunctional it affects everybody else and same is like with endocrine organs it really does affect all your other organs either by suppressing or overstimulating. So it becomes like in, in perimenopause when what starts happening is that the ovaries start declining their function and kind of going towards retirement. Mm-hmm. The adrenals are the ones that are going to take up that job because, you know, even if we need less hormones as older women after menopause, we still need progesterone and estrogen in small amounts and those will be produced in the adrenals so the adrenals already have their whole full curriculum of you know full-time job that they need to do and suddenly there is this other like kind of part-time job added on for them so it's really important as we start transitioning towards perimenopause not even during perimenopause but even before to be very mindful of adrenal health And as we go into perimenopause, going towards the transition to menopause, big, strong support to the adrenals. It's critical. 
that transition that you know year to years where like your ovaries are finally declining stopping you know ovulation uh stops and like the hormone production stops from the ovaries it's a critical moment of like a changing of gears so dysregulation in a system that's already dysregulated adding that extra stress on top will make a big mess so we really need to be focusing on, on system re-regulation and rebalancing right before menopause. Hopefully, we'll be able to have a sort of you know, stable system so that we don't become crazy symptomatic and then have to resort you know, to very strong things. What are some of the signs of like in your adrenals needing support? And then also, you know, you were saying we need to make sure and support our adrenals. So what is that? What, what is support? You know what I mean? So if you can kind of talk a little bit about both. And then we could talk about HRTs. Adrenal fatigue in nutrition is defined by uh, tiredness that is not relieved by sleep. So basically, coffee is the first sign of adrenal fatigue. <laughs> <laughs> when you wake up in the morning and you can't function without coffee, it doesn't matter even some people sleep seven, eight, nine hours and you're still exhausted. So that's the first big red flag of like, uh-oh, something is not right because you should be able to sleep eight hours and wake up refreshed and then maybe naturally get tired at some point during the day, which is like, you know, a different kind of problem if you crash in the middle of the day. But when you're tired in the morning, that is adrenals. And by the way, when you get tired in the afternoon, is blood sugar. I'm sure you know, you know, right. of course, and tell your clients. But yeah, and they're both connected too because adrenals also play a regulatory part in blood sugar. So when you are doing all the things that you should do, like should not do, like over-exercising, under-eating, and then you're like self-medicating with sugar and carbs and caffeine, it's all like pouring gasoline on the fire because not only it stresses the adrenals but it stresses your blood sugar and caffeine is also related to stressing the blood sugar by spiking your blood sugar so adrenals have to come in and regulate that so it's like you know they're trying to keep everything functioning and it's almost like they don't have enough hands and enough time and enough energy to keep the whole system in balance lifestyle should be the first thing like really managing stressors. Um, that means physical and emotional and psychological stressors. So but, um, the number one is blood sugar, starting with regulation of blood sugar. Eating keto is a great way to start regulating your blood sugar. Carnivore as well, if, if indicated for a person. So keto, keto, paleo, or carnivore. Eliminating coffee. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> I know this is the moment where I get very unpopular with people. It's like, <laughs> you need to stop coffee. And they're like, don't talk to me. Yeah. But at least for at least for a time, enough time where, you know, and I'm not saying it has to be cold turkey, but at least like declining in your coffee consumption enough and then maybe eliminating for a while until you can give your adrenals a moment to like not be overstimulated all the time. Then, of course, like practices like reducing the intensity of exercise and then switching from maybe like long distance running for three hours a day every day to like running once a week and doing yoga every day or walking instead of running. 
spending time in nature is great. So walking in nature is really great help you know, benefit for the adrenals. Staying away from like frantic consumption of news and social media. I think that one is like really big on adrenal stress. And supplementation is very important. So one is yes, making sure you get all the nutrients, the food for the adrenals, like vitamin C and, you know, amino acids. And the other thing is supplementation strategic supplementation that's kind of what I do is like I use homeopathic to teach the cells how to function again and also um, extras of DNA so glandular but more than just glandular they're like specific cytosol and DNA extracts that provide like a healthy replicating cell so that if a gland is that damaged and is not able to replicate healthy cells anymore it can have kind of a new fresh blueprint to start with. So again, supplementation for function and then supporting digestion so that your body can absorb the nutrients from the food. Yes, I agree with everything you're saying. Uh, One thing I'd add is there are other symptoms of adrenal fatigue. So it could be like um, hair loss, feeling cold. There's also like when you stand up really quickly and you get really dizzy. Um, when you go outside in the sun, you're um, and you are like, oh, I need my sunglasses. Like the very sensitivity to sun. People, yeah. Yes, those are some of the symptoms. And then um, in terms of you know adrenal support, I do the same thing. And it's interesting because you know some people their adrenals are acting up too much, right? And then there's some that they need more support. So. I think um, also the supplementation, that's where it's dangerous to just go out there and buy adrenal support because you may need um, a, a, a glandular, right? You yeah. might need an adrenal glandular and you need more support that way. Or you might need one that kind of calms your adrenals down. Like it's okay. You can go to rest now. Right. So like one that you may take at night, which also ours has the, um, it has taurine and um, I think porcine and vitamin C. But yeah, mm-hmm. so I, I, again, I'm on the same page. I think these things are so important to calm our adrenals. But I always say this to my clients too, but if you don't, I mean, if you don't fix your lifestyle, so you don't get rid of the stress, you don't overexercise and you don't undereat, you're going to have to supplement and then manage it that way for the rest of your life, unless you get to the core root cause. It's fascinating. It's hard, but it's so needed so that we can heal. Yeah. And I think as far as like supplementation with glandulars, I please, you know, I know a lot of you don't want to, you know, maybe don't have the means to work with practitioners and you want to do it all by yourself, but please be very, very careful because you can find those things on the internet and they are not safe to use unless you really know what you're doing. You can like completely whack out your endocrine system, your whole endocrine system, and end up worse than you started. So, yeah, you, you know, there are practitioners out there, lots of them, Judy and I, and many, many more that know what they're doing and can support you, even if you just do one consult to know, you know, get you started. But otherwise, stick to a good diet. That's what you can do by yourself is really sticking to the best possible diet. And if that's all you can do, it's still a great start. And it will have results. And don't do the glandulars by yourself. (laughs) So uh, what about, so let's talk about the hormones now and HRT. So, I mean, uh, one thing I'll say is that as if we don't take care of our adrenals and we're always pumping out cortisol to kind of manage like the blood sugar dysregulation, the stress, 
then it takes the nutrients from our like sex hormones, right? And so then our sex mm-hmm. hormones get depleted. And so then HRT kind of comes into play. So how do you handle HRTs? Like, what are your thoughts? And how do you manage all of that? And I mean, you have your own story of healing. So if you want to kind of just share that for me, it's kind of like, again, it's like a delicate subject, because like, in theory, what the kind of nutrition that I studied does not believe in HRT. And like, you know, um, even with herbs or tinctures or homeopathics or, you know, the above mentioned glandulars, like you should be able to rebalance the system. Truth of the matter is that in the world we live in, I don't think that's true anymore. And it's really saddening for me. I remember going to a seminar two years ago, three years ago, um, with my mentor who is like, kind of the guru of restorative endocrinology and talking with her about, you know, she's a couple of years older than me. So she had started menopause and having crazy hot flashes and having a hard time managing her hot flashes. And I was like, wow, if she's a guru of like endocrine systems and she's having a hard time, we're in bad shape. (laughs) And I know that she was living a really intense lifestyle because she was teaching seminars basically every weekend, teaching to all these practitioners, flying from, you know, one city to the other, like having a a practice. So I was like, yeah, I can see why she would have a hard time because she's just so busy and, you know, there is nothing you can do. That's her lifestyle and the toxicity and the stressors. So basically, I think that, you know, there are really no dogma. I like to be a purist. I like to do things a natural way. <clears throat> but sometimes it's just not possible anymore. And I don't work with bioidenticals because that's just not what I do. It's not part of the scope of my practice. But what I tell my patients is this. Let's try the natural way. Let's do everything that we can do Um, let's say you're transitioning into menopause and having like no sleep, crazy hot flashes, like, you know, all the symptoms in the world, Uh, heavy dysregulation, maybe like erratic periods, like hemorrhages, like whatever it is. So let's try to do all the steps of the natural way. And we'll do as much as we can to see if we can bring you back into regulation. If we can't do that, then maybe, you know, if you're still being very symptomatic and like you need relief, I will understand maybe it's time to go see a doctor that can be, you know, the right person to give you some bioidenticals to get you through the difficult years, a couple of years. But then you can come back to me and we'll get you off the bioidenticals that you don't need anymore and get you back online. I don't think, I think they're useful. I think they're helpful. I think that when we come to very dysregulated systems, sometimes might be necessary because it's kind of too late and your system will not get back online, you know, in, without you being crazy symptomatic. It has also, it's of course, one of the things that need to be used with common sense. You know, a lot of doctors, they just throw them at you and they say, this is just the only way and don't try anything else. For me, hormonal symptoms, of course, they're related to the liver. That's why detoxing is so important because like congested liver means hormones all over the place. So we need to do the steps, the steps of drainage, detox, diet, lifestyle, 
bring it all together. And then whatever is left over, we can see at that point, do you really need HRT? And if you really do, then go get it. But don't just put it as a Band-Aid, you know, on top of like a big dirty wound. Yeah, no, I agree with you. So what about your own journey? So with Hashimoto's and how how did you heal and kind of like rebalance all of that? Nutrition, keto and supplementation. One thing that for me was like vital in my healing and the way I heal my fibroids was iodine therapy. Okay. Which is something that I should not even be talking, you know, without the scope of a patient client conversation because unfortunately the FDA and you know the medical system has put some really unreasonable regulations on the use of iodine and there is some very poorly conducted research out there that puts a really bad name on iodine when iodine is a necessary nutrient and it can be used in an extremely healing way. Again, this is something that I wouldn't do on my own um, and not all iodine products are created equal, but I use a very specific kind of elemental iodine and in conjunction with detoxing and supplementation, iodine therapy helped me shrink my fibroids within like six months, size of oranges. And wow, that's amazing. The guy from the ultrasound place could not believe it. I made a bet with him and like <laughs> I went for an ultrasound and I had five really big fibroids. You could see them from my belly when I lay down. And um, I told him, I was like, you see, I come back here and these are like at least half the size. And I came back, it was like four or five months later and they had shrunken down to like, you know, about this big, and I was right at the edge of menopause. So I knew that I didn't need to, need to do anything else because like at that point, I was, you know, it was a question of a year or two for me to get into menopause. So they would have gone away by themselves. But at least I got them to a place where they were not bothering me anymore and my periods were manageable, no more hemorrhaging. And I did that through the iodine. Wow, that's really powerful. So And so with Hashimoto's, did you... You know, when you were going keto and carnivore, like, did you, how did that affect your kind of low hypothyroidism? And if you want to talk a little bit about that. I, I found out I had Shimoto's about five years ago, six, five or six years ago. And what I did is I, as I was studying, like specializing in hormones, I kind of became my own, one of my first case studies because I was working very closely with my mentor and I became her patient. So that through her treatment of me with like, you know, glandulars and protomorphogens and herbals and homeopathic, I learned how to do it. But then I took it further because like she never really worked with the diet. <clears throat> and I was like learning and specializing also in the ketogenic diet. So the combination of ketogenic and um, what I call keto paleo, so a kind of a nutrient dense ketogenic diet, no processed food, the right supplementation, and a lot of detoxing. That's what did it. And by the way, I just want to put this out there a little bit, but like for me, the reason why I was hypothyroid and I got Hashimoto's was because of dental amalgams. And this oh, is wow. what happens. It happens to a lot of people that the amalgams will leach the toxicity, like get first the parotid gland toxic, and then they'll slowly percolate down into your thyroid. 
So detoxing the thyroid itself is of vital importance. And, you know, autoimmune is just a phase of disease. Like that's what, the way that I learn in nutrition that there is no such thing as a, just an autoimmune disease. Autoimmune yeah. is just a phase. So as we treat the disease itself from the root cause, the autoimmunity will eventually disappear and your immune system will auto self-regulate. And we can, of course, help this regulation. If there has been dysregulation for long periods of time, then we can help re-regulate the system. But otherwise, it kind of takes care of itself. So I just cleaned up my body, radically cleaned up, did a lot of heavy metal detoxing, and, um, you know, got my diet under control, supported ovaries and adrenals, and then the thyroid eventually came back around pretty much by itself. So Never taken you, any medication. Wow, that's, that's pretty awesome. So what do you think of, um, you know, there's that thought where if you have like low functioning thyroid that you should not be um, eating low carb. So what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think there is a pinch of truth in there. Yeah. So I think that is not black or white. Um, the carbs and the thyroid, there is a connection there, but it's also for me kind of mediated by the stress of the body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I tried to find a, some clinical research like that told you exactly A, B, C, how the carbs are connected to hypofunction of the thyroid, like a direct correlation. And I remember the last time that I went looking for that, that was like a couple of years ago. Um, I did a whole presentation at the Keto Cruise with Jimmy Moore. That was my presentation was about that topic, about um, low-carb diets and thyroid hypofunction. And like, is it true and how do we do it? So my conclusions were that there are cases where you might need to do some carb cycling but it's more connected to the health of your whole endocrine system and your whole body than just the thyroid specifically because the thyroid is connected to everything and is a regulator of different systems. So it is also by feedback loops influenced by the dysregulation and not lack of health of the systems. So we need to fix all the systems before we can address the thyroid directly. And by fixing the system, sometimes the thyroid will self-regulate and be like, oh, finally, you you did it, now I can heal. Right, right. (laughs) And just to answer your question, I think that as a general rule, what I've seen that was most beneficial for hypothyroid hypothyroid clients on keto was um, carb cycling, doing some amount of carb cycling. Now, how much of that they needed that was strictly individual. It could be once a week to every single day. And the way I did it mostly was through green veggies, green, lots of greens. Um, it seemed like depending on their gut, again, back to the microbiome. So we look at endocrine system, but then there is the microbiome. So we need to never, you know, compartmentalize your, the body. Everything is connected. So depending on their gut and what their gut needed, then we varied the carbs that they needed and brought them in strategically. For some people, believe it or not, it's fruit. And like fruit will work as a carb up. Well, for other people, it has to be green, you know, and that also depends on metabolism. So there is like 
endocrine system, microbiome, and then metabolism. And it's like kind of like you're the juggler. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) Let me talk a little bit about metabolism. So I work with a lot of women where they may heal everything else, but then they have a weight stall, right? So they're like, why am I not losing the last 20, 30 pounds? Um, They kind of do lead stressful lives, but they're managing it as best as they can. They don't really drink a ton of coffee. So, you know, how would you work with someone like that to kind of heal their maybe years and years of under eating, um, you know, eating like very, very little calories or nutrient poor foods. So how do you start healing the metabolism and then even allowing them to be at a weight that they'd be happier with? For me, there are two different scenarios. And sometimes it's interesting, like in cases, like clinical cases, you can have almost exactly the same symptoms. And then when you go look, and I've had that recently, two clients signed up at the same time, same case, same disease, same symptoms, very similar labs. Even their lab numbers were the same. I was like, what's going on here? Is this the twilight zone? (laughs) But then when I really studied the case, the root causes were completely different. So the treatment strategies were completely different from one or the other. So for me, when I see people that seem to do everything right and they still can't lose weight, it can be either, yes, it's a damaged metabolism from yo-yo dieting and adrenals and like the whole endocrine system needs healing. So there the answer would be time, time and persistence. And sometimes even like eating more and gaining weight at first in order to lose weight later. That is one scenario. What I see much more often, Judy, instead is that they're toxic. They're toxic and there is something in there that I haven't seen or found yet that needs to come out. And the body is like desperately holding on to those fat storage cells because they're like the toxic dump of the body. And the body is so scared to let go and it's so toxic and the drainage channels are so plugged up that all it can do is just hold on to the weight until like it will literally, your body will almost drop dead before it can let go of that weight. And also because if it did, it probably felt like it would drop that because it would make itself sick. Right. Because re- releasing those many toxins as you lose weight and your fat cells shrink, shrink, those toxins need to go somewhere so they come out. And if they're not able to drain out, then they'll bounce around. And so your body is like, no way, Jose. I'm keeping it all here. And so I say this a lot. And it's also something that goes hand in hand with the broken metabolism, you know, or damaged metabolism. Once you start detoxing and you start fixing metabolism, then the weight comes off. But it might be one or the other. Most often it's a combination of both. Right. And so how how do you determine if it's, you know, like toxins in the body? Do you actually do the functional testing for that? And that's how you know, or is it something else? Not really. I, yeah, I found those tests, the modern ones, like the very new ones, like Genova and like Dutch tests and all of those. Sometimes they're a little too convoluted. They're too expensive. And like, I feel like common sense goes a long way. I have a lot of experience. So all I have to do is do like, I take about two hours to do a really detailed case history. And I have them fill out a bunch of forms and I have them fill out diaries. 
And then I really start digging with the client and do their history and like ask them all kinds of questions. And usually things will come up. And then I study their cases and I, you know, I really put my brains to it. And I usually can't find what it is. And like, I just recently like did, took in a new client and like, I know she had heavy, heavy metal toxicity and I thought it was from her teeth, but then like just looking at all her symptoms and her case history, surgeries, like all kinds of stuff and neuropathy. And I was like, there is something else here. And I, I told her like, you need to tell me where these metals could come from. And through the conversation, actually, I realized as we were talking about her diet, that she lives in Hawaii and she was raised on large amounts of tuna. And uh, I was like, duh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. No, I go to yes, the same. Amalgams, but, you know, look at that. Sometimes, you know, you have to be a detective. Yes. Um, oh, yes. I mean, sometimes clients, they fill it out so simple and then you're like, oh, they don't really have any issues. Why are they coming to see me? And then as soon as you do the questioning, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I know. <laughs> and see, I work with clients. I don't take a lot of clients. And like my style of working is very in-depth and I usually get really complicated cases. But, you know, I kind of like that. And I like that we get to really go for the root causes and get very, you know, personal, close relationship and get to take my clients through this whole journey. Um, some other people prefer to help a lot of people, you know, and, and have like, you know, more like superficial levels. I like to help few people and just really go deep with it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm the same. I'm actually the same. So my first consult, like I always say an hour and a half. And then it, I mean, some, there was one that I think lasted almost three hours. And I, I totally understand. So in general, and I know this is such a vague question, and it's probably the answer is like, it's bio individual. But from all your experience, your years of working with clients, like how long have you seen that it took to heal like adrenals, you know, hormones? you know, assuming they've changed their diet and are healing and, you know, mm -hmm. implementing the lifestyles. I know there is a principle, I think is a principle of homeopathy that says you need like three months of healing or one month of healing for every year of disease, mm -hmm. which I think is very generic, but it gives people perspective. Like, so if you've been like kind of growing this dysfunction for like 10, 20 years, it's not going to just take a month, you right. know, it's going to take some time. So I think that proportionally to how long you've been dysfunctional and dysregulated, the longer you've been sick, the longer it's going to take to heal. And then above that, yes, it is kind of individual. It depends how committed you are, you know, how many practices you're doing, how, how much you stick to, you know, to your protocols. And also a little bit is genetic, how resilient, resilient your body is, how good and supportive your environment. But I think that for really deep healing, when you're doing like a full health transformation, I would say a year is a good, just if you give yourself a year where you're really going to go for it and you, let's say you have Hashimoto's or hypothyroid or, you know, serious hormonal problems, 
give yourself a year. At least you're not going to be stressing out and being like self-sabotaging because you're, you know, you need to cut out earlier. And yeah, I, and I think that's really important for you to say because, um, you know, we have these like within the carnivore community and I guess even the keto community, we have these like overnight successes where like somebody loses like 50 pounds in a month, right? And then people are like, why, why am I not? And then as soon as you start having those, like I call them ants, but the automatic ne negative thought, then it's, it's self-sabotaging and it makes it that much harder to stay on the diet. Because once you believe that the diet may not be working, then it's so much easier to break off the diet or the break off the lifestyle, right? So um, I think that's really good. I, I agree too. I think it's a longer term process and that I always tell my clients, like you can't expect to be fully healed within three months, right? Mm -hmm. um, some people can, do, you'll find significant changes in three months, but I don't think you'll be fully healed within three months. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So. Go ahead. Phases, you know, it's just phases of progress. Guys, we'll never be fully healed. I mean, look what's out there these days. It's crazy. So it's going to be always a work in progress. But like, if you start like thinking that there is a before and after, like, and this is just a diet that I'm going to do for three months and then I'm going to go back to normal. Mm -hmm. What is normal? Twinkies? And like Starbucks latte every day, is that normal? That's not normal. Maybe that's what you were doing before, but look where it got you. So are you going to really go back to that? This is about a total paradigm shift. And I think it's time that people really realize, really realize that this needs to be a full paradigm shift and like shifting into what is a sustainable way of taking care of yourself for the rest of your days hopefully so you can age well and be strong and vibrant and healthy and the best possible version of yourself no that's really great so you know as we're wrapping up what are three things that you would recommend you know like kind of like the low-hanging fruit so if someone wanted to get started let's say that they're already kind of eating a clean diet but you know what are three things that they can kind of do to you know, support the horm your the hormones, adrenals, endocrine system. Um, what what would you say is kind of like your top three? The low hanging stakes. Um, okay, <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Sorry, I didn't even think about that. That's so funny. I know all these. Yeah, all these like um, kind of little catchphrases always use carbs, right? It's like you want to have have your cake and eat it too. Uh, low hanging fruit. Um, reinvent the oh I forgot what it was there was a few other but it's funny yeah it's funny okay, go ahead Sorry. I know so I, I maybe should have prepared better on this but let's see I think that the first one is just what we talked about a second ago and it's like change of paradigm so think long term don't think quick fix and like just starting with that mentality is gonna kind of set you up for success because like the moment that you start going into any endeavor and thinking quick fix, you kind of screwed. So don't do that to yourself. Then for me, the second one is like eat clean, simple. Maybe you're not perfect. Maybe you will have fruit here and there, or maybe even, you know, some cheat of your diet being keto or being carnivore or being whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But as long as you eat clean, clean means for me, non-processed foods, uh, non-GMO foods, glyphosate-free foods, 
um, of course, organic, grass-fed, pastured, something that supports your local agriculture, your local economy, your local farmer. Um, think like think things through all the way to where that stuff came from that you're about to stick in your mouth. So eating clean as a general rule, whatever you're doing, I think will be very helpful. Loving yourself and like knowing that you're worthy. So you are worth everything that you're going to do to help yourself. Be it working with a practitioner, spending money in supplements, spending money in that clean food that you need, spending money in resources, spending time, going to exercise, going to take time off for yourself. You are worth it. So don't start with the self-sabotage. Oh, no, I don't deserve to do that, even if it's in the very back of your head. But, and nothing else will work. I can give you recipes and tips all day long. And, you know, nothing will work if you don't think you're worth it and you're actually going to do it. First steps right there. That's really good. Um, so where can people find you? And um, do you have a website? Um, where can they contact you? So, um, yes, my website is thenourishcaveman.com. Don't ask why. <laughs> <laughs> And um, I am on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube. But easiest way is just shoot me an email. It's Vivica, V-I-V-I-C-A, at thenourishcaveman.com. And if people want to know more about my program, it's called The Healing Foods Method. And I think it's thehealingfoodsmethod.com. And also they can just Google my name, Vivica Minigas, and there is about five pages of stuff so <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll, I'll link to everything this has been very helpful um i think you know we get down to basically that we need to get to the root cause sometimes it takes a while to get to the root cause i had a client that was certain about you know it's this one pathogen we got it cleaned and then it's like there's something else too so it wasn't just that and then it's like Oh, okay. We thought we were done, and no. Now we have this whole new path to also clear. So, it's not always, you know, this one-step uh, method, and it's oftentimes will take a while. But I always say, like, once you kind of figure it out, then you can live the rest of your life like in optimal health, right? Well, thank yeah. you so much for your time, and I will definitely leave um, the show notes. And it, this has been very helpful. Thank you very much. Thank you oh, so much for having me. It yeah, no, it's been delightful. Thank you, Jessica. <laughs> Bye. Bye, Judy. All right, guys. I hope that this was helpful for you. I hope you guys realize that sometimes some symptoms we have, we may need a little extra support than ourselves. All right, guys. You know the drill. Eat a lot of meat. Take care of your bodies because it is the only place you have to live. Take care, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Nutrition with Judy podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app so more listeners like you can find the show. If you want more practitioner care and support, head over to nutritionwithjudy.com groups so you can get more real talk about carnivore, the environment, and root cause healing. You can also find my content on Nutrition with Judy's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter and learn more about in-depth articles with infographics at nutritionwithjudy.com articles. 
You can find my two books, Carnivore Cure and The Complete Carnivore Diet for Beginners on carnivorecure.com and amazon.com. At the heart of Nutrition with Judy's practice, our mission lies with a deep, unwavering passion for service and community. We will continue to empower you to have the knowledge and tools to live a life nearly symptom-free because we firmly believe in healing and wellness for all.